Welcome to the Inspiring Capital Podcast. This is the show for the purpose-driven person who isn't afraid to have the difficult conversations about the challenges and the opportunities of having a positive impact in their personal lives and at work. There's a lot to talk about around impact and purpose these days, but we feel and hear from our community a need for more honest and pragmatic conversations about the complexities of social and environmental change. Today, I'm with Christina Noel, the founder and CEO of ArcBenders, a social enterprise working to inspire and equip people with the tools they need to change the world. ArcBenders was inspired by the quote, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice, from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who famously stated this during his 1965 sermon at Temple Israel of Hollywood. Christina is currently focused on a project to interview 100 people who have changed the world by the end of this year. I'm Bernadette Hopin, Community and Brand Manager at Inspiring Capital. Time to plug in and let's dive right into the struggle. Christina. Hello. Thank you for joining us on the Inspiring Capital podcast. Well, thanks for having me. It's exciting to have you up here. So we are in person, but Christina is based in North Carolina. That's correct. So like you heard from our intro, um, Christina is doing this awesome experiment, travel, the journey, (laughs) whatever you want to call it, where she's interviewing 100 people. And do you want to tell us a little bit about the format of that and, and how you ended up in New York City from North Carolina doing that? Sure. Yeah. So this project started at the beginning of 2018, and it really stemmed from this desire to do more. I was tired of hearing bad news all the time, and I wanted something, I wanted to do a project that was uplifting, and I've been living in the social impact space for the last seven years, and it seems that every week I meet new and inspiring people, but I was concerned that not everyone else gets to have that experience, and not everyone else knows that these people and these ideologies exist. And I also wanted to kind of help solve the problem I had seven years ago when I decided I wanted to change the world, which is realizing you want to make an impact is amazing, but then actually figuring out how to make an impact is really, really challenging Mm -hmm. and what that means for you. So I figured if I interviewed 100 people who've made an impact in some way using their talents and passions, then that might help people figure out their own path and learn from these stories. So as far as format goes, I started with a blog and I've interviewed about 50 people so far. And oh my gosh, it's been wonderful. I made it global. So I have been interviewing people there. I have a few interviews from the UK and Canada as well as across the United States. But I'm right now in New York on a road trip to actually meet a lot of these amazing people in person. And I'm actually this fall going to launch a podcast because I'm, while the blog is really helpful and insightful and it's a great resource, I do think that there's something missing by not actually capturing these conversations. And so that's why I'm here. Yeah. On a road trip. (laughs) Road trips are so fun. Um, And so is podcasting. So you guys will all have to subscribe to the ArcBenders podcast when it's out. We'll make sure to share that with you, but uh, you should definitely check out Christina's blog. There's some really awesome 
um, interview. So you said you've, you have about 50. So yeah. Far. And only about okay. 20 to 25 are published. Okay. So there's a lot more coming. Awesome. <laughs> Stuff to look forward to. Um, but okay. So you're, you're in this, right? Yeah. Like halfway there. Um, so, so far, what would you say you've learned about really what it takes to be an arc bender? What I've learned is there's so like being an arc bender means different things to different people. Mm-hmm. And I define an arc bender as anyone that's using their talent in some way to bend the arc of the moral universe towards justice. So really being intentional about trying to make a positive impact in some way. And in these stories, I've interviewed so many business leaders. Um, I'm starting to interview different advocates and nonprofit leaders. And each one has their own perspective to like an issue that they want to tackle, how they want to tackle it, and their how they use their own unique talent to tackle it. Right. So my biggest takeaway from the Arc Vendors Project is just that I think we all can in some way contribute and that we all need to be contributing. The world really does need us. Yeah. And I, and I love that. And I, later, I definitely want to talk about everyone's individual role in, in that change. Um, but I, I still want to dive even deeper into, yeah. into what you've learned. So I want to hear some common themes yeah. out of all of these individuals. So is it just founders that you're interviewing or really any, any type of arc vendor? I very intentionally have chosen. There are a lot of founders, but... I have definitely chosen to interview different people at different levels awesome. because I do believe that you don't have to run a company to change the world. Right. And I want to show that you can be a professional that works at a social enterprise like you, Bernadette, <laughs> like you are an art vendor. And some of the themes that I found from these interviews are problem solving. Mm-hmm. So the art vendors that are truly effective find a problem that they want to solve and then they tackle it head on. Um, so on this road trip a few days ago, I actually met with Fagan Harris of Baltimore Corps and he knew he wanted to change the world. And the first thing he set up to do was he worked with a partner on social impact business planning. And his like dream was to create like the orbits of social impact jobs. But what he realized was that from trying to tackle that problem, he realized how complex the social impact market is. And so instead, he ended up shifting his focus to solve that same problem, which was he started, he went hyperlocal. So he's from Baltimore. He moved home to Baltimore and started Baltimore Corps, and he created like a hyperlocal fellowship, which then actually led to an entirely different business model. So they're a nonprofit, but for 15 to 30 fellowship spots, they got up to sometimes 800 applicants. And then they were trying to partner them, pair them with organizations. And there were more organizations that wanted these fellows than they could even serve. And so now they do provide a lot of staffing services oh, wow. to mission-driven companies. Wow. So that's just like one example of how like by tackling a problem, it's not the how, it's the why. And then eventually many of these arc vendors figure out mm-hmm. the how. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk, but he's kind of the social media guru. And he's always yeah. saying, you have to love the, the hustle and the work. You know, you, <laughs> you have to appreciate the process to get to that end goal. So it sounds like it's that process that really took him on 
you know, on this incredible journey. Um, and Baltimore is such an interesting mm-hmm. city to look at when you're talking about social impact. Um, Baltimore, I think, is on this uh, on a verge of incredible change. So I would love to see Baltimore be the next big social impact hub, yeah. but we'll see. But that would be incredible. Um, awesome. So in addition to problem solving, um, I'm sure there are some things you've noticed that might be negative or not even negative, but uh, struggles that that have been reoccurring in in um, your outreach to different ARC vendors. So is there a common struggle or hardships that you're seeing across all of these different industries and different type of people that you're interacting with? Yes, it's so interesting because anytime I ask that question of almost all of the ARC vendors, like what obstacles have you overcome? And they always laugh because they're like, um, do you want to hear the list? <laughs> and it, so it sounds like resiliency is a big theme. So um, wait, this isn't easy? Oh yeah. Changing the nope. world isn't easy? Nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so one of the biggest challenges is self-care comes up a lot. Oh, interesting. And interestingly, gosh, I'm like really excited about this interview with Fagan is um, I thought he said something really insightful because we were talking about burnout. Mm. And for burnout, you really need to think, to prevent it, you really have to think about your goals and what you like to do. So it's not just trying to solve a problem, but it's what kind of work do you like to do? Because if you're not doing the literal type of work, like if you actually almost have to be selfish to change the world in some way. There was a blog post I read and I remember, and it was literally titled, it's so to change the world, sometimes you have to be selfish and you have to find like your happy place in impact. And sometimes if you're a founder, you can find yourself really off course when you're dealing with finances and a board and right. you know, you're spending 80% of the time on administrative tasks when you know, it's possible that your passion is really you know, being with people and helping them find their purpose or doing the actual programmatic work. Right. And I think that's really insightful. And then I think some of it's just boundaries. So for me personally, I've had struggles with boundaries where in social impact, everyone wants my time and everyone wants help. And I like genuinely want to help everyone. But if you're going to solve a true problem, solving one problem alone is already really challenging. And so you really have to focus and take care of yourself because it's the oxygen mask. Like, right. If exactly. you don't take care of yourself, you can't help others. Learning to say no. Ugh, it's so painful. That's really, that's a big challenge for, for a lot of people. I think, especially when you're getting started in the startup world, mm-hmm. you want to say yes to every opportunity, but burnout is, is real. I know. <laughs> and then related to that is also getting help. And that's something I've struggled with and then having the resources to do that. So it's this weird juggling act of if you're going to scale and if you're going to really make the most impact, you need help. I've definitely like four months in felt that I'm like ready for help. I'm like ready to partner with people. Like I'm ready to collaborate. I'm ready to outsource things. And Brad Frankel, he he works at Flugelbinder. And that was actually one of his biggest pieces of advice is Mm. he's like, you know what? I'm not a web designer. So I learned eventually, like in the beginning, he did everything. Him and his partner did everything. And eventually he's like, look, like we're going to specialize in what we specialize in. And they focus more on scaling the business and then asked for help and got it where they needed it. Right. Yeah. So I would go as far to say that burnout and self-care is probably an obstacle that a lot of business professionals face, Mm -hmm. anyone in the job. Has there been any specific challenges that you've noticed 
just in the social impact space? Is it really that everyone wants to to kind of, there's this expectation of that give and take that you were talking about? I think so. I think, I mean, in many ways, like I, I, I will openly say this, I worked at a B Corp for four years and I spent four years putting mission before self. Mm. And so I burned myself out more times than I can count. And now as a social entrepreneur, it's still just as hard of work. Right. And I really think it goes back to those boundaries. Like you yeah. have to like recognize that, I mean, no, I don't think many people are doing it well, which is not really helpful, but I think the type of work, I really do think there's something to be said about Fagan's advice of you have to think about what type of work gives you energy and actually taking the time to slow down when things get overwhelming and really trying to find like some semblance of a balance. Like for example, I'm really starting to think about like what kind of boundaries do I need? Like, do I need two nights a week where I don't work? Yeah, right. As an entrepreneur, <laughs> you're like, oh, the Monday to Friday thing is yeah, isn't real anymore. Oh yeah, <laughs> every day there is no weekend, but then every day is the weekend. So it's it's awesome, but it's also really really hard. Really to hard. Find boundaries. Yeah. All right. Well, you actually, thank you for a wonderful transition because um, you mentioned B Corps, and I know a lot of our audience knows what that is. Um, but for those of you that are unfamiliar. B Corps are pro-business, pro-environment, pro-market, and pro-community. Uh, B Corps are companies that have been certified by the nonprofit B Lab after meeting rigorous standards of social and environmental performance, accountability, and transparency. So essentially what B Corps are to for-profit companies is what fair trade is to coffee and chocolate companies. Um, and there's more than 2,500 B Corps across 68 countries in 130 industries. So that's a lot. Yes. <laughs> um, I would love to know, just big picture, why do you identify as a B Corp industry, uh, sorry, B Corp advocate? Why does that matter to you? You know, you're, you're already doing the impact thing, um, but, but B Corps, what, what draws you to that? Oh my gosh, I'm such a B Corp nerd. So, <laughs> so for me, it actually is a very personal story. So I feel like I won the lottery and while I was getting my MBA at the University of Georgia, I landed an internship with B Lab, the nonprofit behind the whole B Corp movement. So in case you haven't for somehow heard of B Corps, the B stands for benefit. And I was hired on as a summer fellow to audit 10 different mission-driven B Corps. And oh my gosh, like after I saw what what being a B Corp meant to 10 different organizations that range from one person operating out of his home all the way, you know, doing a solar installation company all the way to Ben and Jerry's. Mm. Oh my gosh, y'all, I got to visit Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory for real, except like with mission behind it. <laughs> oh my gosh, one of the best days of my life. and. But really, like what was touching about that experience, for example, was to see what Ben and Jerry's meant to its community. So Burlington, mm-hmm. Vermont, they sourced everything that they could locally. They hired locally. They paid a living wage. They sourced their ingredients ethically. Anything they couldn't get locally was USDA organic or fair trade. And to see and realize like all of the different impacts of all the mission-driven choices that that one organization made was just an amazing ripple effect. And and I, I got to talk to an employee who talked about how it changed her life for the better. And she had been chosen to speak to me and my fellow intern because 
she they were working on her public speaking skills and getting her more comfortable. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it's not just about the ice cream. It's about all of the lives impacted. Right. And... So now I'm a B Corp champion because I really believe that this movement is so important. And this is the future of business, that business was created to focus on profit and shareholders, but the B Corp movement is really about stakeholders and how can we run a business in a way that really does help our community and help our employees and help the environment and really make positive change could not have said it better myself. That's amazing. I love that you got to see it firsthand. And now I know you've worked with so many B Corps, <laughs> done so many different things. Um, Inspiring Capital is very proud to be B Corp. We've just finished our recertification, which is Yay. exciting. Um, but it's it's hard to be mm-hmm. a certified B Corp, and, but very much worth it. And I've, I'm very happy to be an employee of a B Corp. I love that the Ben and Jerry's um, <laughs> employee that spoke to you was on a on a task of personal development as well. Yes, like how yes. wonderful, um, <laughs> awesome. So the B Corp movement has been around for about twelve ish years now. I think two thousand six it was um, founded, and they've come a long way, but there's a, a lot more work that needs to be done. Twenty five hundred B Corps. That's a lot, but Compared to the amount of for-profits in the world, that's a very, very small percentage. So do you have any either predictions or or where would you like to see the B Corp movement go now that you've, you're, I mean, you're pretty tapped into the B Corp world. <laughs> so um, Christina, what are you predicting to okay. be B Corp movement in the next, let's say, five to 10 years? <laughs> so BLF has a challenge because their goal truly is to protect the gold standard. Like they created the certification to really show organizations like what is a gold standard in business and they don't want to dilute that. Mm. And so they're now moving to like a multinational structure where, but to become like a multinational B Corp right now, the requirement is that every wholly owned subsidiary will need to get certified and meet the rigorous standards on its own. And so they have to figure out what that means. Like how much can you dilute the assessment and dilute the rigor to make it work for multinationals while still making the movement mean something. Right. And so my prediction, it is challenging. I think B-Lab has recognized that not everyone's going to be a B Corp and that's okay. And I really appreciate their measure what matters initiative. And in some ways, arc vendors is about that as well from the individual perspective, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, we all need to be doing something and every organization, in my opinion, should be on the B impact assessment and exploring their impact and trying to do better. So as far as trends, I do believe actually most of the growth in the B Corp movement is global. So I do see the movement continuing to grow and expand I'm hoping that consumer awareness grows and expands to make it even more valuable that consumers want to start purchasing from B Corps and yeah. business businesses essentially want to start working with only B Corps. Because once you're in the movement, you know when you meet a company that's B Corp certified right. that they hold themselves to rigorous standards, that they have governance processes in place, and that in many ways like they're trustworthy. Like you you don't even have to do that due diligence. You just know. Right. And yeah, and, and just to jump in here, um, I think that 
this is going to be an exciting part of the expand into the multinational organizations. Yeah. Um, Danone and Unilever just pledged that they want to become a, a B Corp too, which would be amazing. So I think as these super large companies and corporations are um, fighting to become B Corps, then all of a sudden consumers are going to notice more and more um, as these big names uh, tackle it on. Because, right, the, yeah. the people turn to the big names anyway, the, the brands that we love, right? The go-to ones are um, B Corp examples, Patagonia, yep. Ben & Jerry's. Seven generations. <laughs> yes, yeah. Method. Right, the things that are in your your house, your apartment. Exactly. Um, so the more of those big brands, I think it'll be really exciting for um, the consumers and just the the publicity of the movement generally it'll be it'll be interesting it'll be interesting mm-hmm. i just hope it can be done in a way because it's funny um because there are some people that are like but how can it not how can it be done without losing its heart right which is going to be like a tricky tightrope to walk for sure yeah <laughs> what are your thoughts on weighing let's say a giant company right the, a giant multinational organization really wants to become a b corp but to make it happen, they do need to dilute the the gold standard a little bit, just a little bit. Maybe it's the silver standard for that <laughs> multinational organization. But all these smaller companies have to meet this super rigorous. Do you think that that's an okay trade-off because you get the exposure? You know, they're doing something instead of nothing, these large companies. So where do you think that line should be drawn? I really, personally, I think you actually hit at what I hope B-Lab will eventually do, which is I do sometimes wonder should they follow the lead example hmm. so like lead certification for buildings right. and have gold silver and bronze and a multinational like might hit bronze right right and and then you can and then you might be able to invite more people in but i don't know it might be i, I don't know the logistics behind the packaging and, yeah uh, <laughs> it's, so we'll, it's tricky. we'll see we'll come back and and discuss once we have a few multinational organizations and we can you know examine them and see how how it works out but agreed yeah very very interesting so we're in this turning point of the movement so stay tuned (laughs) um so i want to shift a little bit back to arc vendors and ask you about your slogan. So your slogan is because the world needs us to change. So what does that change look like for you? So for me, I think I hinted at it a little bit earlier, but my goal in creating Arcbenders is to really inspire more people to change the world. And yes, I'm totally aware that that's really broad and it's personal, but my call to action for everyone is that in some way we should be making a difference, whether that's through our careers or through volunteerism, or even just through being donors, like mm-hmm. in some way, or and or conscious consumers. So in some ways we should be putting our time, talent, or money to making positive change. And in interviewing all of these 100 different people who are approaching that in so many different ways, I hope that people will get inspired to find out, to figure out what that means for them. But like one of my favorite examples is um, of Arcbenders, you should definitely check out the Danny Rosen interview. So not only does he run his own marketing company where he is not yet a B Corp, but he's working on it. <laughs> he, in his free time, banded together after 9-11 with a group of business leaders and started Band Together, mm-hmm. which fuses his passion for music 
and charity. Oh, wow. Yes. And they have raised over a million dollars now for local wow. nonprofits in North Carolina. And this is all extracurricular. Like, this is insane to me that, like, his work as a co-founder of that organization has helped raise $8 million for local nonprofits. Like, that's insane. It's incredible. And so, I mean, that's the kind of call to action where, like, even if you decide you need a traditional corporate job, that doesn't mean you can't get involved in your free time or you can't donate to the cause or you can't buy B Corp products. Right. Yeah. And and we talk about at Inspiring Capital, these the spheres of impact, right? Mm. So there's different levels of impact and not one is more important than the other, but you can find that impact in your specific day-to-day job. So that can be, you know, maybe you're on the ground helping young kids at a nonprofit, maybe in an inner city school, and you get that impact directly from your job. Or maybe you're a an accountant at a large company and you don't feel that day-to-day impact, but your company has that impact, right? So you're an accountant at Warby Parker. Mm. So you know by helping the operations of that organization um, flourish and and live that uh, Warby Parker is, they have that one-for-one Mm-hmm. Um, policy so they're helping young children see and so they can go to school and get an education but let's say you're working at a large company that really doesn't have that big picture impact then there's the community and exactly. I think that that's exactly what you touched upon so what can you do outside of your job or even try to get pro bono opportunities at your company if they allow you to do that but there's always a way to be an arc bender (laughs) exactly (laughs) so that's the change that we want you to do and we want to see in the world is just right so it's just finding Mm -hmm. that impact and change so change for for the good exactly good because the world needs us to change it exactly (laughs) (laughs) so i think that's perfect and on that note i want to transition into how we close up all of our interviews, which is with quick fire questions. Oh, fun. Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay. So the first question is, what is your favorite book? Oh, that is so hard. It's I such love a so hard many question. Books. <laughs> um, I think the first one that pops to mind is Tuesdays with Maury. That mm. is a book I've read over and over again. I know it, it might be like a little bit stereotypical, but the idea of mentorship and the power of mentors and... I had a professor that was very similar to Maury in my undergrad program, and he just taught that you know love, loving and kindness and being human is so important. But lately, I've been listening to Mel Robbins' Five Second Rule audiobook, and I mm. highly recommend that. It's like my favorite book right now. Um, and it's about how five seconds can change your life. So if you're looking for a bit of a kick in the butt, check that one out. <laughs> Yes, that's good. And, and I like the audiobook thing. I think you're the first person that's mentioned audiobooks. Yeah, because she, she actually is reading it. So it's like her oh, voice. That. That's and great. she's like, this was my life, and this is how it changed. And awesome. like, you can do it too. <laughs> and awesome for a road trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. Audiobooks. <laughs> uh, so what is the first thing that you do when you get out of bed in the morning? You know, I wish I was one of those people that like had some Zen routine, but usually it's to try to get myself to do something physically active. So usually my husband and I will go on a walk and then every other day we'll go to the gym mostly. 
But I'm hoping the five second rule helps me be yeah. highly consistent. Good. This is aspirational. That was an aspirational question. So exactly. Perfect. <laughs> and uh, what is one thing that our audience can do today to live a more impactful life? So for me, I really think that if you work at an organization, for-profit or nonprofit, I highly recommend getting your organization on the B impact assessment if you can control that. And using that as a way to just learn best practices in business and how your organization can start measuring what matters and making an impact, it's totally free, which is why there's no excuse not to be using it. But if you're somehow not able to make that kind of impact, I really think you should at least then look into the B Corp movement and check out bcorporation.net and watch a video about what the B Corp movement is and maybe look at some kind of like what kind of companies you might be interested in supporting. And then lastly, actually check out www.wearetheArcbenders.com and read some of these stories and get inspired. Yeah, I love that. And subscribe to the podcast when it's out yes and we have any newsletter so if you're not on social media it's a great way to stay in touch but we're also on insta facebook and twitter although twitter i get a little slack (laughs) (laughs) well everyone will start following you and then y'all you'll have to be accountable to it but exactly Well, as we wrap up, I'd like to give a big thank you to Christina Noel for diving so thoughtfully into the struggle with me today. Also, thank you for tuning in and listening. Make sure to subscribe and rate our show. For more information about this podcast, you can visit inspiringcapital.ly forward slash podcast. Signing off, this has been Bernadette Hopin. And until next time, stay inspired. Stay inspired.